1: We're in the heart of December, and I have to tell you, coming from Denver, Colorado, we hit a new record last night because our temps dropped to a minus 14 below zero. So uh, we have our fleeces on all over the place. It's a little chilly, but we don't have a chilly show for you today because we're going to be talking about repurposing as well as a lot of other things, because our guest has been with us before. It's Brett Ridgway. He is the author of 50 Biggest Website Mistakes. So hopefully, Brett will get into some of the latest and greatest website mistakes while we're here. He's also a guru when it comes to packaging and marketing and knows everything in and outside of internet related things and how to keep connecting with your customers and your book buyers and as well as things all about audio and what's the latest and greatest. So we have kind of a potpourri of things we're going to get into today. Hey, Brett, how are you?
2: I'm doing great, Judith, and appreciate the chance to be with you again. It's actually snowing here in Indiana right now, too. So you, <laughs> well, can, you, can keep, you can keep your mind at 14 degrees, though. I don't need that.
1: <laughs> Man, cold, cold, cold. All right, so um, to warm up the show a little bit, let's talk about this thing called repurposing, because it, it is a buzzword. You're hearing it more, Brett, um, of what to do. And a lot of authors, as you know, get stuck on what's the next thing after the book? And the reality is the book is just either the beginning or it could even be the, um, uh, a part of the chain of ideas. What do you see that's happening now, today?
2: Well, I see more and more people utilizing books, frankly, as their degeneration device because they recognize it's a better business card, as I'm sure you've talked about on the show many times. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that people struggle with is And one of the mistakes I see, you mentioned I wrote the book 50 Biggest Website Mistakes, but another book I wrote was called The 50 Biggest Mistakes I See Information Marketers Make.
1: Ooh. I, wanna, I, I don't one, have that one. <laughs>
2: you don't have that one,
1: huh? I don't have that one. Okay.
2: And one of the things that certainly is, is one of those 50 mistakes in that book is the failure to repurpose content. Because most people, they they think that they basically have to start with a blank page every time. And it just makes it so hard when you're trying to do any type of marketing or creating new products or whatever, to start with a blank slate every time, and I mean we all talk about writer's block and all that. Well, chances are if you're an author or thinking about becoming an author, you've already got content you've already created, and you need to think about your books as content you have, and all the different ways you can utilize that content to help you market your products and services, make people aware of your books, whatever it may be. I mean, just think about all the ways, and here's a brief list, but think about all the ways, Judith, that you can utilize content that you may already have to help further your cause, build your platform bigger and all that. I mean, you obviously you've got the books themselves, but you've got articles, you could audio versions of your art, books, blogs, e-books, e-courses, home study courses, membership sites, podcasts, press releases, special reports, teleseminars, tips books, transcripts, videos, et cetera, et cetera and so there's many things that you can do with content you already have and so don't try to start with a blank page every time think about what you already have in the hopper that you can repurpose and use in some way to spread the word
1: well and that's critical i think is to to bypass the blank page cuz they do get that glaze in the eyes thinking oh my god what am i going to do next and and i and i get that with blogs the uh, recent blog i did on the authoru.org website was 52 blog ideas and some of the blog ideas had ten other ideas within them and literally if you blog once a week I gave you an idea for every week of the coming year now that would be hot for me to get a hold of if I was sitting with a blank slate
2: sure and that, that's a great idea I mean those blog posts obviously can be combined into articles or you can take articles and slice them up into blog post you can combine articles to create books I mean there's literally no limit to how you can take content you already have and repurpose it to, again, spread your message and go wider. I mean one of the most brilliant things I heard recently, Judith, was somebody had written a, quote, book, but rather than packaging it as a book and selling it as a book, they chopped it up into like 10 or 12 or whatever it was special reports and sold each of those special reports like at $17. So for each chapter of their book essentially – They're getting as much as it would if people had bought the entire book as a standalone item,
1: or 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 actually many times over. If if they bought the book for twenty bucks and now they're paying for each chapter, you know, fifteen or seventeen dollars, do the math.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I'm saying if people are willing to pay for chapters, I mean, obviously it needs to be great content, which Mm -hmm. is a given. But I mean, if you can get. 10 times 17 rather than 17 for your content, well, that sounds like a winning formula to me.
1: Uh, home run, I would call that a home run formula, uh, where am i going in. Now, you know, some of the things that you have done um, with your, I mean, you, you've done a lot with events, and you certainly worked a lot with speakers. And I guess what we should also tell our listeners is you're the co-founder of Speaker Fulfillment Services, as well as Author Fulfillment Services, so that you work with authors and speakers hand in hand in helping them develop. Um, information to get them out there and and really pack you 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 put together the packaging in a lot of ways and do the mailing for them is that not correct
2: that's true and certainly i mean it probably would be worthwhile to give a brief overview of all the different things that we do so people know where we're coming from and it may strike some questions or areas you yeah. want to head off into today sure so,
1: why don't you I mean, that's a good I mean, idea certainly our,
2: our core business is speaker fulfillment services and author fulfillment services is a subsidiary of that essentially but what Speaker Fulfillment Services does is work with speakers, authors, and other information marketers doing the actual behind-the-scenes manufacturing, packaging, warehousing, and shipping of people's physical information products. So if you've created a home study course or a CD set or a video set or any combination thereof, printed manuals, whatever – We actually make it here. We package it. We integrate with your shopping cart so that when you get an order, then we just ship it out to your customer for you so it's entirely hands-off for you. So that's where we get involved in providing duplication services and fulfillment for people. We also work with a lot of authors where we do nothing but essentially ship their book orders out. So that's where the author fulfillment services comes in. So we're not producing any product for them, although we can print books, but What they have is the books that maybe – they get a big lot printed in China or whatever. They ship them to us, and then we fulfill the individual order for them. So that's speaker fulfillment services and author fulfillment services. We also have our own online bookstore that sells classic marketing and copywriting books. Did you know that one?
1: No, I didn't. I'm going to go look at the website while you're saying that.
2: All right. So that would be (laughs) sfsbookstore.com, so a lot of the old hard-to-find books that – Mm. The core concepts of copywriting are available on that website. We also have our own e-commerce platform called Red Oak Cart where if you are selling products online and you need a sell-out system to be able to communicate with your list by email as well as do e-commerce, then our Red Oak Cart system is out there. We also are behind the scenes on a couple of fairly large membership sites. One is in the internet marketing space which is called AM2. It's a partnership with a guy named Armin Morin. We also have a partnership in another membership site that is aimed at authors. And then we also do a – we have a product that you're a big fan of. What we need to get you started with Judith is our Disc Deliver product, which is a print-on-demand yeah. self-mailer for CDs and DVDs. So if you're doing lead generation of any type, so maybe you run running ads where you say, hey, get my audio, just pay shipping and handling, then we produce those basically – the same day that you get an order and drop them in the mail that afternoon and that's an all inclusive 599 out the door type service. So we Yeah, have- that's
1: huge. Yeah. That's huge. Okay, we're going to come back with a for after our first break in about 15 seconds and then let's let's get into how we now can integrate some of this and I should tell all our listeners his warehousing is one of the best deals on the planet. But we'll come back to that. This is Judith Browse. My guest is Brett Ridgway. You're listening to Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing.
0: This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Briles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these on the Rockstar Radio Network.
3: Is there a book in you? Or another author you will show you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hidden? If you already have a book out, you'll find a supportive and brainstorming community that's connected and creative no matter where you live. Author U brings in national experts for its book camps and annual author extravaganza held each May. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through AuthorU's extensive network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. The Resource, its online book publishing news magazine, is content heavy and it's free. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, AuthorU is for you. If you're a hobbyist or a casual author, it's not. Join AuthorU today through its website at AuthorU.org. Follow Author AuthorU on Twitter at AuthorU and on Facebook at AuthorU, where timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted daily. AuthorU, where the author goes to become seriously successful.
4: Do you want to sell stuff? Do you want to sell books? Lots of them? If yes, you must take credit cards, the most widely used form of payment today. The Free Terminal has created a special program for your guide to book publishing listeners. No contract. All equipment is free. Extremely low rates and no termination fees ever. Contact Alan Dean at, at Freeterminal.com or call him at 303-668-6828. The free terminal has handled all credit card transactions for both Arthur U and Judith for over a year. Don't wait another day. Contact Alan at thefreeterminal.com or call 303-668-6828 and tell him you want the no contract Arthur U deal.
5: Every picture tells a story. And it's a truism that people do judge a book by its cover. Nick Selinger and NZ Graphics have been in the business of producing superior graphic cover design and interior layout for self-published authors, independent and traditional publishers for years. He has developed a reputation for... Excellent work, fast turnarounds, and best of all, affordable pricing. NZ Graphics also produces ebooks and book marketing materials such as posters, sell sheets, postcards, bookmarks, business cards, logos, and more. Books designed for his clients have won multiple book awards, including Best Book Award by U.S. Book News, multiple Evie Awards from the Colorado Independent Publishers Association, Indie Book Awards, the San Francisco Book Festival Award, and Freedom Medal Award from Valley Forge. Visit www.nzgraphics.com or call 303 985 4174 for more details about making your book the success it should be. Mention that you are an FOJ friend of Judith's and that you heard about NZ Graphics on your guide to book publishing.
1: With me this hour is Brett Ridgeway. He's an author of several books, including the 50 Business Mistakes, um, I See Information Marketers Make, and 50... Uh, biggest website mistakes as well as he knows publishing, he knows authors, he has a warehouse for um, authors and provides fulfillment services as well as he is a creator and distributor of the products that come off of their books. So we're talking about how to create those products in this fabulous word which is one of the big buzzwords out here in publishing called repurposing. So if if I let's say I have my book my book book, so what steps do I need to do, Brett, to go through in modifying it to uh, allows it to go into a repurposing channel?
2: Well, one thing I think you need to do is first of all decide which repurposing channel or channels you want to go after, because there are literally I saw a list somewhere one time like somebody had two hundred and sixteen different ways you could repurpose your content. I mean
1: holy smokes i mean
2: obviously one isn't going to do all 216 but Mm -hmm. you want to pick probably two or three key ones you want to start with Mm -hmm. and i think you need to think about modalities and that's something we probably haven't talked about before Mm -mm. is when you think about the the buying public out there some people love to read books and that's their primary desire way to consume information They're, they're they're readers. They want to pick up a book, hold it in their hands, and go through chapter by chapter. But other people are more auditory learners, and they want to listen to content. And other people are more kinesthetic learners. They prefer live events, interaction, and all that. And I just saw a breakdown recently where all of them have about 33%, plus or minus 3 or 4% as the preferred learning mechanism for people. So if you're putting together a book and you're going to do it in written format only, that means only about a third of the entire marketplace is even desirous of reading the book as their primary way to learn. So that means two-thirds of the market probably isn't going to buy your book, even assuming they're interested in your topic, because they don't like to read. They would rather listen or they'd rather be involved in something experiential to get that content. So when you're writing that book… I certainly think you need to think about fairly quickly what can I do with this in terms of some of these other modalities and put out there. Maybe it's just an audio CD, that's fine, but maybe it's something else where you do a workshop based on your book where people can come in and participate and learn your techniques. Or maybe it's a webinar where you go through the content so they can listen and watch and all that. I mean there's lots of different ways you can put it out there, but just keep in mind if you do it as a reading mechanism only, only one third of the market desires to learn that way.
1: Well, that's really kind of um, um, mind boggling here. When I, I actually wrote down a note that said, Are you leaving two thirds of your book buyers in the cold? Um, because th- that's what you're saying. If they're print yep. buyers, they get a third. If they're audio, that's a third. If they're, you know, the experiential, there, there's a third. So uh, let me ask you this about the workshop, because I came from the old workshop environment, you know, where we used to make these massive... See uh, uh, actually tape cassette programs if you can recall that was before the video days and all that what what 's your experience as a producer and working with a lot of authors and speakers that that uh, what kind of mode is coming down in the presentation mode is it a massive six-hour presentation, eight-hour presentation, are they little mini-type presentations? I mean, how should one design this whole concept if they're going to do a visual experiential um, presentation?
2: Well, you've got to decide, number one, is it going to be an in-person thing or is it going to be an online type thing where mm-hmm. you're sharing by a webinar? Now, certainly, there's a lot of challenges, as you know yourself, putting together live events. I mean, they can be very time-consuming in terms (laughs) of putting the logistics together. They're a big money commitment with hotels and all that, typically. And so you better know how to fill the seats if you're going to make live events in that format work. Certainly, it's much less expensive to do it, like, in the form of a webinar or whatever. And I think personally think that you need to make sure you're doing it in bite sized chunks. Now, what's a bite sized chunk can vary depending upon your audience and, and the time commits they have available. If it's people who are you're marketing to that are working, say, in a corporate environment where you know they have to listen to it on their own time at night, well you better medicate it, you know, an hour or two at the most. You're not gonna pull them in for a six or seven or eight hour event online. Um, If it's people that are entrepreneurial that have a little bit more freedom time-wise, then maybe you can make the chunks a little bit longer. But, again, I mean, frankly, I wouldn't go more than an hour, two tops in any situation. I mean, yeah, there's exceptions, but, I mean, that's, I guess that's my general rule of thumb, I'd say, Judith. Uh, If you go longer than that, I think you're really kidding yourself that you're going to get them to hang around and – you know, be fully involved in that environment. Um, And there's something I read a while back, and it kind of ties into this, is if you are doing a live event, whether it's online, via webinar, or in person, who is paying the ticket to be involved has a big impact on when you should do that event. So if people are paying with their own nickel to go to an event, then it typically should be a weekend event because they have more free time on the weekends usually. Mm-hmm. If it's a situation where a corporation is paying for the ticket, then you're better off to do that during the during a week weekday type event. So you've got to think about your audience to decide when the best time is and the, the size of the content chunk you want to deliver. Now I've been involved in webinars that went for three or four or five hours before, and I mean I certainly know people stayed to the end and all that, but I don't too, recommend uh, it. In my ignore. opinion, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah,
1: but in my opinion, it's too long. You you have to have pee breaks to put it bluntly, and you have to. Um, I learned long ago as because I my whole movement, primary when I was really moving books, was I was a speaker, and I learned that you can't. You can't have pe- people butts in the seat for more than ninety minutes. You have got to have a break, and they need it mentally. They need it physically, um, and so they can move around.
2: Yep, I agree.
1: So, I mean, all right. So, so we've got that. But coming back to the the, uh, is it visual or audio? Are, are people doing a lot of audio type of programs, or does it have to be video? I mean, one of the one of the things that I get. From a lot of, you got to have video, got to have video. If you don't have video, you're dead, 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 dead. I, is that true?
2: I think certainly to some extent now, it is true. Uh, I mean, we certainly still do a lot of audio components for people. It's not like it's disappeared or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with everything being so visual on the Internet now, I mean, the YouTube world of today where people expect to see things and, you know, they say if you don't have video on your website, you're behind the times and all that. I mean, it's come to be an expectation now, and so I think there is some realm where it's perceived as you're antiquated or behind the times if you don't have some type of a video visual component, especially on a website. Mm -hmm. Now, I mean, when you are talking about repurposing content, and let's say you're going to do a book, well think about ways that you can integrate video into your book and that's by obviously including links within the book itself that say, you know, go to this website to watch a special video that goes into this more in depth, or you want to see the steps, you know, the how-to, step-by-step, how this is done, it's not just the description in the book here, go watch this video. So you can tie them into video with the book and incorporate both modalities together in that way so you can expand upon the printed word a little bit. So. Yeah, I, I think it's somewhat true Judith. these days it, it, video is certainly kind of an expectation of people. Um, but, I mean, p- the place for audio will remain for a long time because how many millions of people still commute every day? And if they can mm-hmm. pop an MP3, you know, put an MP3 on their iPod or pop a CD into their vehicle and listen to it while they're commuting, then you've got a captive audience and – if you don't offer your content in that format, again, you're leaving money on the table. So, and
1: and, and you know, the new cars next year, and certainly in by two fifteen, but starting next year, uh, the new cars are going to have the capability of downloading shows like this, pod, the podcasts um, that are network. Uh, connected, so that's going to open up a whole new listening realm, because the last thing you do want is a commuter watching a video while they're driving. <laughs> which, yes, which I would not I would
2: not advise that.
1: <laughs> which, which I did have an experience in a taxi that, where that happened, and I told him to stop. All right, we're <laughs> going to be right back. This is Judith Brels, Brett Ridgeway is my guest. You're listening to Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing. <laughs>
0: this is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles and we'll be right back with more great information right after these on the rockstar radio network since
4: 1987 colorhouse graphics has set the standard for quality book production Whether you decide to print a small quantity of books or need a large print run, depend on Color House to help you. You'll receive professional help and advice the moment you reach one of our representatives. If you mention hearing about us on your guide to book publishing, Judith Bryles, we will provide you with discount on the first order you place. To speak with a project manager, call us toll-free at 800-454-1916 or visit us at www.colorhousegraphics.com.
3: When Ned Thompson and Harry Shore started Thompson Shore in 1972, they believed employees with great character would make up the best company. They were right. They hired people who were not only experts in bookmaking, but who were obsessed with quality and delivering exceptional customer service. Almost 40 years later, Thompson Shore remains a 100% employee-owned company. Ned and Harry knew that successful customer projects are a direct result of empowered employees. We specialize in all books for large and small publishers, creating beautiful and well-made books. We're dedicated to pleasing our customers by making the experience a good one from start to finish. The personal touch we have with our customers allows us to be innovative in solving their most difficult challenges. Our platform also ensures that we can remain flexible to meet our customers' unique needs and expectations. Our marketing kit can create buzz for your title, enhancing the promotion of your book during infancy. When you need to test the market to gauge your future sales, we can provide digitally printed books that will transition seamlessly into a larger offset run. From e-book to hard copy to delivery, our skillful customer service teams are at the ready to answer your most pressing question. At Thompson Shore, we know that making the highest quality books requires more than just best technologies. It requires superior customer service, professionalism to the trade, and commitment to environmental and social values. With these standards of excellence in place, you can be sure that we will always help you put your best book forward.
0: Welcome back to your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask on the Rockstar Radio Network. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles.
1: All right, so with me is Brett Ridgway. and he is the co-founder of Speaker Fulfillment Services and author Fulfillment Services, plus a lot of zillion other things. And we're talking about repurposing your book um, and how to you. I mean, it, we're really the other word, in which we haven't said, which is called monetizing um that's used a lot how to how to really monetize that so i think Brett what i I'd, I'd be curious if you have a ballpark let's say you take a book and you do this repurposing in chapters or you create some other products what kind of pricing are we looking at
2: well the certainly the whole issue of perceived value is something that comes into play here and obviously we've been trained throughout our entire life that the value of a book typically is Fifteen to twenty dollars, because that's what we pay in a bookstore, and that's what we have learned our entire life. Some little more, some little less, but typically fifteen to twenty dollars. Well, you need to realize as an author that you can take that exact same content, and if you repackage it in certain ways, just by packaging it differently, it increases the perceived value and therefore the price that you can charge for that product. So, let's say you take, you have a you know a hundred fifty page book that's a soft cover book that you're going to sell. Fifteen bucks. Take that exact same content, format it into eight and a half by eleven pages, put it in a three-ring binder. Now suddenly it has a perceived value of $47.67 or more. And you need to keep in mind here, Judith, that you know you have the whole issue of hard topics versus soft topics. I don't remember if we talked about this before or not, but I mean a hard topic is anything that's kind of related to how to make money so how to make money in real estate or forex or the stock market or, or whatever it may be that's considered a hard topic and hard topics typically command a higher price point than soft topics soft topic is being things like how to improve your relationship uh, eating healthy uh, weight loss whatever it may be so you've got to look at the topic that your book's about when you're going to repurpose as to what price point you can charge. And obviously the only way that you really know for sure is by price testing. But typically, if you take a book that sells for $15 and you repackage it into a three-ring binder so it's kind of a how-to course type thing, now it's going to command a higher price point, 47 67 97 whatever. Add a couple audios to that so that it becomes more of a, a basic home course. Now maybe you have a $197 product, $297. Keeping in mind also that the more niched your topic is, the higher price point that it typically can command. So you might have a, uh, you know, weight loss product that if you niche it at, you know, moms who have just given birth type thing, because it's more specific, typically you can charge a little bit more for that. Uh, if you add in some checklists and some, maybe a DVD or two where you have more of a full-fledged home study course, then again, depending on your market, now you may have a 397 497 697 product. Again, the market's going to tell you what will work long term. So certainly the format which you deliver your content in can have massive impacts on how much you can charge for that. Now, there's a little rule of thumb here I like to talk about. I'm sure we talked about it before, but it's certainly worth re-mentioning here Good. is that typically as an information marketer, the price at which you sell your product should be about a 10 to 1 markup over your hard cost to get the product out the door. So that means if you have $20 in producing the product, then it means you need to be selling it for about $197 or more to make the numbers work long term, because obviously you need money for marketing, administration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if you have a product that you have $50 in, to make the numbers work long-term, that means that needs to be a $497 product or higher. Now, we're not saying, Judith, that if you have a lead generation product that's designed to get people into your funnel and you can sell the be you know like crazy on the back end, that you can't even afford to give away that first product. But you better know your back-end conversion numbers before you head down that path, or you can get yourself in a big hole real quick. Now, a flip side of this that we need to talk about is – Let's say you're in a market that, for whatever reason, has decided that they're not willing to spend more than $50 for a product in your particular space. That means you need to figure out what you can package for about $5 to make the numbers work long-term. Again, exceptions to everything, but as a general rule, you need to be a 10-to-1 markup to make the numbers work long-term. I've heard some people say 8-to-1. I've heard some people say 12-to-1. So let's just average it out and say 10-to-1 and go from there.
1: Well, I I, that gives you a hefty um, a hefty margin, and if you're narrowing down, I know in printing, um, when we're pricing our when we do a retail price on our book, we kind of look at the what what is going to be our price per copy um, of the book, and we do a multiple of anywhere from six to eight times. So, say seven is the average. So for for people who are doing and and that's a good exercise if you're doing print on demand, for example, um and the cost of your book is six bucks a book, let me tell you, you're not going to sell that book for forty two dollars and and you're thinking, well, wait a minute, where do those numbers come from well if your if your goal was to work in selling your your book through uh, let's say not a back of the room but through a a distribution channel, of some sort, they're going to take a 55% hack uh, off the retail price. And if your book is sitting at a $20 price, all of a sudden that net to you is $9. And if you've got a $6 cost per book, which a lot do um, when you do these onesies and twosies and tens books at a time that if you come up with that kind of thing you know you've got this three dollars little margin well wait a minute what about your other design factors what about any marketing what about you know all the other fill in the blanks and all of a sudden it's just what Brett said you are in the frickin' hole and you really have to look at all of what we're talking about here this is business this is part of the authoring and publishing business if you're going to build the platform that you want to have. So, um, I mean, I, I even as someone who's been around as long as I am, it's it's important to be reminded of those markup rules and to justify what your time is.
2: Another thing I see that people get hung up on all the time, Judith, is their... Production cost per unit, and I was talking with somebody about this earlier today. Mm-hmm. So let me elaborate. Right. I mean, people sometimes get so hung up on getting the lowest cost per unit that they order way more of a product than they need. Oh, they haven't, they haven't I proved know. their marketing model yet, and they'd be far better off spending an extra dollar or two per unit, getting the marketing in place, making sure that it's working, and then once you prove your marketing out, then you can order the massive quantities and you know and get pallets of books printed or whatever. But I have, believe me, pallets and pallets sitting in my warehouse of books that just continue to sit because people haven't figured out how to market. But hey, they saved a dollar per unit on the production cost because they ordered five thousand at a time versus you know five hundred or a thousand. I mean, it's just nuts. So yes, you need to make sure the economies work for you, and you're not spending ten dollars to produce a book that you're selling for eight or whatever. But Don't get so hung up on the per-unit production cost. The more important thing is to make sure your marketing is working, and then you can drive those costs down once you've got a working marketing model. But to focus strictly on how much you spend per production unit is a dangerous endeavor.
1: Oh, you know, a sad story I've got from one of the publishing predators who convinced this person, the way to get your book down to $3 a book was to order 10,000 copies uh which was absurd because the cost of her book at that rate should have been about a dollar 5 um when I looked at it so you know you wonder who's skimming off of who but you know i i have a uh, a question that just sprung in so Brett you have people who have uh a pallet of books that are just sitting there in your warehouses i bet is that right uh several <laughs> several all right
2: so dozens <laughs>
1: Okay, so put on your consulting hat. And um, what can we do to brainstorm with our virtual listeners to think about ways to move old books? Um, I I know that sometimes there's a challenge when books, their copyright seems to run by the sell-by date. But if it's really good content, and, and maybe, you know, maybe maybe they were a speaker at one time, or maybe they were doing something that was their expertise, and maybe they've moved on to something else. How do they, what's, what are some ideas that you might think of from your marketing days that they could maybe all of a sudden get rid of 500 copies, 1,000 copies?
2: Well, here's a few things I've seen that actually people do recently. Uh, let me tell you a, quote, sad story. Uh, but it's, it's, another,
1: it's another form of repurposing here.
2: <laughs> it is, it, exactly. Um, I mean, one thing that I saw somebody do recently, very successfully, is turn that book that they had printed into basically their lead generation device. So basically you get the book for free for, you know, pay a couple dollars for shipping or whatever, but the book was essentially free. And so that allowed them to get a bunch more people into their list, into their funnel, and then they began to sell them other products and services. So they transitioned the book as the moneymaker to the lead device and promoted it that way. Another thing I've seen people do, which, I mean, this is, this is my sad story, but we had a client who had written a wonderful series of children's stories, and it was like five or six books in this series, and we had – gosh, I don't know, like five five to 700 copies of each one in the warehouse that had sat there for almost three years. And so this author had finally decided she didn't want to pay the storage any longer. she, She said, just throw them away. Well, I mean, that just kind of broke my heart, Judith, so... I actually found a local charity, and we bundled up 500 sets of the books and gave to a charity so they could give them to the kids. So at least at that, at, at the worst, you got a tax write off out of it. When it all was well,
1: good. for a kids' book, we're, we're going to come up to a break here. But for a kids' book, that's the smart thing to do. Give them to anything that has kids, whether it's churches, synagogues, you know, anything out there. Um, libraries will take them and and move them out that way. We'll be right back. This is Judith Bryles on Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing. With me is Brett Ridgeway. We're talking about what to do with some of these old books to move them on out.
0: This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these on the Rockstar Radio Network.
4: Do you sell stuff? Do you want to sell books? Lots of them? If yes, you must take credit cards, the most widely used form of payment today. The Free Terminal has created a special program for your guide to book publishing listeners. No contract, all equipment is free, extremely low rates, and no termination fees ever. Contact Alan Dean at Alan at TheFreeTerminal.com or call him at 303-668-6828. The Free Terminal has handled all credit card transactions for both author AuthorU and Judith for over a year. Don't wait another day. Contact Alan at thefreeterminal.com or call 303-668-6828 and tell him you want the no-contract author you deal.
3: The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing and so must you. By the way, Briles is spelled B-R-I-L-E-S. Follow Judith on Twitter at MyBookShepherd and on Facebook at TheBookShepherd.
6: At Total Printing Systems, customer service is our priority. We are located in southern Illinois. Our employees have an average of 18 years experience and know that customer relationships are important to our continued success. We have been a short run book printer for nearly 40 years and always stay at the forefront of technology. Our niche is from 1 to 5,000 copies. Call us at 1-800-465-5200 for a quote on your next book project. You can also visit our website at www.tps1.com.
0: Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask on the Rockstar Radio Network. If you want to write and publish a book...
1: Well, these hours always go fast, and Brett Ridgway is with me, and he's 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 one of these uh, uh, jack of breadth of all trades. And he can talk websites, he can talk information, he can talk marketing. He, we've been talking repurposing, um, which is really critical that even if you have a book, you're in the process of a book, or you don't even have a book, but you have other stuff, how can you monetize it and bring it into other forms and other lives and what steps you need to do? And one of the tips he gave was really quite good that when you're looking at your pricing, that what the cost of, of what you're doing, if you already have a book, that book's in play but if you have to repackage it and jump in here, Brett, if I've got this wrong, if you're doing a repackaging, pulling a chapter, doing a redesign, creating an ebook, whatever you're doing, uh creating an audio series, putting together a video combination trading program, anything on that that you've got new costs come into play, and that when you're pricing it out you're looking at roughly a ten to one, so your retail price to the public is going to be 10 times what your actual hard out of pocket cost. That correct, Brett?
2: That's correct. And keep in mind that those costs not necessarily include, you know, printing costs or CD duplication costs or whatever. But you also got shipping and handling costs to your customers, et cetera. So you need to roll all those numbers into whatever that cost is to make sure you're looking at the actual hard out of pocket cost.
1: Yes, so exactly. So if you created, like Brett has this really nifty thing that I am going to do this next year, where he create you could create, for example, maybe something going out every quarter or every month or every other month or something, and maybe you create a, a new CD set that you set out that you can you can create it. They'll duplicate it. They'll package it. They send it out in this fabulous mailer, and the cost is just under six bucks. I mean that's a steal. And what you're doing is you're talking about a membership type of group that. you're you will um, evolve and that's something that's really on our game board to create for this coming year to have something um, in our own internal mastermind that it goes out so it could you know and it doesn't have to be a full-blown hour or two hours it could be 20 minutes is that correct Brett it's just something
2: yeah that's exactly true And, and when you talk about membership sites in the digital world where people are coming online to get content from you I think it's so important to maintain some type of offline touches with those people, because it's so easy to get out of sight, out of mind, and there's still a certain cachet of books and CDs and physical product where there's something tangible they can hold in their hands. It has a higher perceived value than something they download off a website, and so by inserting yourself back into the forefront of their mind, by sending them something physical in the mail, then I think you keep your members happier, and and obviously the happier they are, the longer they'll remain a member.
1: And, and, you know, I think you really hit the nail on the head because I don't know about our listeners. I don't know about you, but I'm running close to 500 emails a day that's coming through here. And I have to go so freaking fast through these things that I know that I accidentally delete. I skim over. I don't see anything. And, of course, there's a lot of junk in there, too. Let's face that but and and I have massive filters, but still it's overwhelming, so when I get something in the mail, it's like, "Oh, oh, oh, the old fashioned way <laughs> and it's, and I actually put it aside and save it It's no
2: question it gets noticed because so few people do it these days. I mean, one thing that we make a point to do after every event we go to is to send people we met there a, a personal handwritten note, thank you card type thing and mm-hmm. I can't believe you know the number of people that that just really struck a chord with because they just don't see it anywhere else. So oh, I mean, if you're Brett, delivering your I, content out to people, keep some offline touches in there and you'll be way ahead.
1: Uh, Brett, I have to confess to you. You sent me a handwritten note after last year's extravaganza, and I still have it. I still have it. Um, and positive, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's really important to understand that sometimes reaching out. I know I've, I've had a couple of friends with really bad health. One called me yesterday and her, her daughter had died. And, you know, I took the time to sit down, find a card, write a note out because, you know, we send everything out by email now. And I don't think it's always smart to do.
2: So, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, does it take some effort? Sure, it does. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it's effort that's much appreciated and well worthwhile.
1: Exactly. So, all right, we've got just a couple of minutes here. So, any other thoughts on how do What do we do with the old stacks of books, Brett? I mean, any? I mean, the idea of okay, let's give away some. You 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 got five hundred books left. How about sending out to everybody you know in your email list and say, hey, for the next week, you can get as many copies of my books. For free, just cover the shipping, handling, and say $6 a book or something like that. Um, And, you know, is everyone going to respond? No, they're not. But, you know, you could move 50 or 100 books pretty quick. You know, what other ideas? Yeah.
2: Years years ago, I bought a book from somebody that was, they were, the publisher was, you know, what are they, you know, remandering the title or whatever. Remandering,
1: yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And uh, so I bought, I don't know, 10 or 20 cases of a book about word-of-mouth advertising. And I just bought it for the purposes of using it as a bonus item with other shipments of, of books that we were selling. So can you use your book in some way as a bonus either for other products of yours or, as you suggested, Judith, you know, to some other marketer who's maybe in your niche, that they would use it as a bonus item for their product? So maybe they're getting helping you get your name out there for you by giving your book away as a bonus to their particular product or service. <laughs>
1: Oh, Brett, I love you. I'm going to give out. I'm going to put it up on my website tomorrow that everyone buys my brand new book, Snappy, Sassy, Salty. They'll get a copy of my book called Money Sparts for Turbulent Times. I'm going to give it away free. What the heck? There you go. I
2: mean, it may maybe cost you a few extra pennies because the postage might be a little bit more, but what do you got to lose? I mean…
1: Very little. It's it's very little. It's just it's just smart to do. Okay, so we've 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 hit a little bit on repurposing. The ten to one rule is very very critical. What about um, just in our last couple of minutes? What about website? Uh, you you're you know written books on that and tips there. If you were to to identify the top three tips that people, either going to do a a makeover. Um, I know I just did a massive makeover on the org website and the BookShepherd.com website this summer. I mean, massive, total gutting, new look, repositioning everything content this summer. What would be the top three things that you would recommend?
2: Well, the first thing I would recommend is look at your site or your vision of your site through the eyes of your customer and decide, number one, first and foremost, What is it that you want somebody to do when they come to your site? Are you trying to get them to opt into your list so that you can follow up mail to them? Are you trying to sell them a particular product or service? Are you trying to just share some general knowledge to wow them with your expertise? What is the purpose of that website? And then you need to design that website solely around that purpose. So you've got to decide if you, for example, have a book you want to sell. Well, to me, that site should be about selling that book. And that's you know pretty much it. Because anything else you include on the site that may drag them off into a different direction lessens the chance of them buying your book. But if the purpose of them coming to the website is to capture their name so you can follow up market to them, then you gotta figure out what kind of bonus or opt-in bribe you're gonna to have to get them to give you their name and email address so that then you can follow up message them. Uh, so number one, first and foremost, is what is the purpose of that site? And design around that now the second thing i think that people tend to do that kind of ties right into the first one is and they're guilty of doing this in their books too is think they got to include everything they possibly know about a subject in the book or on the website or whatever and so it sort of strictly becomes or it quickly becomes such a, a cumbersome exercise to either try to read their book or understand their website and figure out what it is that's going on. And you know, a long time ago I heard the expression a confused mind never buys. And that's certainly true on a website as much as anywhere. So number one and number two kind of tie together, but what do you want them to do on their site and make sure you're designing on that and don't confuse them with too much. So if you have a what I call a catalog site, because you have a lot of different products and services, that's fine. But for some of your key products or services you may need to think about Putting them out on sites of their own and having their own, quote, independent sales effort, so to speak, because hoping they find that item in that big catalog site can be like chasing your tail sometimes. They may just never get there, may never catch it. So, function or, or, yeah, the function of the site in terms of what you want them to do is first and foremost. Secondly, to make sure you don't have too much on the site so that they get confused. And number three, uh, I'm going to say, and somebody was arguing with me about this last week or the week before, but I think it's still important to make sure that your site is clean. And, you know, clean means different things to different people, but if it looks old school and it mm-hmm. doesn't have any video component on it and it looks like something that a sixth grader could have designed, then. If you look unprofessional, then they're not going to take you seriously. So you've got to have a clean look.
1: (laughs) All right, so we're going to leave it at that with our seven seconds to go. So thank you to Brett Ridgway. Next week, we're going to have Carolyn Howard Johnson. We're doing frugal marketing. It'll be great. And pay attention, that 10 to 1, those three tips on websites. And I think the aha, it can't look like a sixth grader designed it. Thanks, Brett. We'll talk to you later.
2: You're welcome.
0: thank you for part of your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith Bryles. each week a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take you the author to the next level You'll learn tips and secrets on how to create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve book publishing success by making one very simple change in your book's journey. How to avoid the publishing predators. How to create an author and book platform that rocks. Learn how to make a living with your words and your books. Learn how to publish a book that has no regrets. And so much more. For more information, check out AuthorU.org, where authors who want to be seriously successful go. And Judith's website, TheBookShepherd.com. Then join us again here next week for more. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Brought to you by Author You and the Book Shepherd. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Rockstar Radio Network. This is TogiNet. Radio with a cutting edge. Uh!